something horrific happened. And if we don't take this moment of crisis and turn it into an opportunity for change, then we have failed as a society. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Dahabo Ahmed Omer, and she is the executive director of the Black North Initiative, and she joins me from Toronto uh, right before vacation, I might add. So, Dahabo, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to, to be chatting with you today. Yeah, I'm super excited too. I I feel like I've had the two the two brain powers of uh, Black North, you know, Wes, many years ago, Wes Hall, uh, who's now uh, now on to Dragon's Den, I know, uh, yes. joined me. And uh, and now you as the executive director. So, um, you know, for, for those who don't know of Black North, because um, it's, it's a Canadian initiative, and many of li- my listeners also come from outside of Canada, can you give us a snapshot of uh, what Black North is and what it does? Yeah, um, look, the the Black North Initiative is an organization that was created by Canadian business leaders. Um, They came together a year ago, um, right after the murder of George Floyd. And, um, you know, there there was this question that they were asking themselves. And and it was, uh, you know, founded by by Wes Hall, um, who's an incredible leader within this space. And um, he, he had this moment of, I think, not only just clarity, but a moment of sadness and um, you know, he, he took a he took a step back and said to himself, "What can we do? What can I do?" And and you know, it, it's an incredible uh, and powerful question to ask yourself. You know, what mm-hmm. can I do as leader? Um, and it's that individual ask, right? It's such a personal thing to do. And he sat there and and asked himself these questions. You know, what what are some of the things that I can do, and how can I empower those around me? Um, and so he wrote an op-ed, and it got so much traction and and individuals said to themselves, like, and people who knew us said, I didn't know what was going to do this, you know, mm-hmm. see someone who, yes, is black, but, you know, is, has done really well for himself and is extremely successful um, and well-respected and all those amazing things. Um, but that doesn't prevent you from facing racism, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, racism doesn't see any of those things, right? And so, um, you know, he wrote that op-ed and, and, and got a lot of, individuals within his circle of life who called him up and said, what can we do here? How can we help you and the black community? How can we do that? And so a few of them came together, uh, West and Victor Dodig and Prem Watza, as well as Roland Dagger said to themselves, okay, we gotta, we gotta start something here. We have the power to do that. We have influence. How can we use, how can we turn our privilege into a duty? How do we do that? And so uh, Canadian Council of Business Leaders Against Anti-Black Racism was formed and, and founded and gave birth to the Black Most Initiative. And so the mandate really is to eradicate anti-black racism, systemic anti-black racism from our society, uh, you know, uh, in, in its entirety. And so the organization was founded um, and, and uh, you know, it, uh, it started with our CEO pledge, which was really a, a commitment. And it goes back to 
leaders within our community making a personal commitment to change and then using their power and influence to be able to do that across their organizations and companies. Um, and, and hold and behold, it turns into a huge organization mm-hmm. that is now looking at um, all sorts of uh, sectors where, where Black Canadians are unfortunately being peed on. And, you know, but it's, it's not just representation. It's not just, you know, it's everywhere. It's education. It's health. It's justice system. It's uh, our government in the way that it functions when it comes to Black Canadians. It's everything. And so the organization was founded, and now we've just been doing such incredible work. We have lots of signatories. We're sitting on 490 to date. That's great. Um, representing hundreds and thousands of people across um, this country. And, um, and then on top of everything else, it is... You know, it's it's a moment in time right now where we're saying to ourselves, something horrific happened. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take this moment of crisis and turn it into an opportunity for change, then we have failed as a society. And so it's just been really, it's been really great. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm super proud of this organization and what we've been able to do uh, in just one year, really. It is, it is amazing. And, you know, I think, I mean, I, I remember the, the murder of George Floyd and, you know, how horrific it was. And I also remember some reactions in Canada, which is, well, we're not the U.S. <laughs> you know, we we don't have that. And then I remember reading Wes's, I know Wes wrote several pieces. One that really stood out to me as I think back was that, and it may be the one you referenced, but he describes, you know, living in the, he lives in Rosedale, you know, one of our the nicest neighborhoods in Toronto and that when he would be out walking, he would see um, an elderly woman fall down and he would feel he would have to decide whether it was, whether she would be intimidated if he were to bend down and help her up. That's right. And, you know, just that kind of puts lie to the idea that, you know, things are different in Canada or that it's, you know, if you achieve all the success that he has, that racism somehow disappears. And so I think what he's, he's done is really raise the consciousness and awareness that we have a problem, as you said, which which permeates all society in terms of racism, and then harness organizations um, to to do something about. It. So I know we'll get to what you're doing and what you've done, and and also I think you know it's interesting you mentioned individual initiative. I know a lot of people are wondering how can I how can I help if I'm in a company in the organization, but let's just roll it back to you a bit. And maybe you can tell me a bit about your story and what led you to the, to joining black North. Um, so take me back. Like what's your, uh, what's your story? Look, um, my, my story starts, uh, when I was nine years old, honestly, that's where my story, my story starts. I, uh, you know, we immigrated, um, to Canada, after the civil war broke out in, in Somalia. And so it was a moment, at least in, in our um, community generally, uh, as well as in my family, where, um, you know, we needed to figure out how we were going to survive, how we were going to live. And, and it was it was literally and legitimately a life or death situation. And so, um, how you know, so? We, we, well, you know, we, we couldn't stay in, we couldn't stay at home. We couldn't stay in Somalia. We had to, we had to find, um, you know, uh, somewhere to go so that um, my family could could actually have a life. It was uh, people were were dying around us, yeah. and it was um, it was it was becoming uh, you know uh, losing generations. It was literally seeing people in in our community, um, you know, being impacted in, in such a 
such a harsh way by the Civil War, and um, we needed to find ways to be able to survive. And my father was an incredible, incredible human being, a peacemaker in Somalia. You know, he he got us out. He got us out, and he got us into Canada, and, you know, we... Um, we, we made it, but, but unfortunately he did not. And so he was um, trying, um, you know, his, his damnedest and hardest to get as many people out from Somalia to, to different countries to immigrate in order to be able to survive. And um, in the midst of that, he, he died. And so he gave his life by, he gave his life for this. And so I came into Canada and uh, a, a year later, my father died. And so I'm realizing, you know, from that very moment that, um, his life was cut short and that uh, there was something that I could do to carry on his legacy. And, and if you ever met my father and spent a moment with him, um, you would see the slight in him. You would see the sacrifice in him. You would see, you know, the, the, the relentless commitment to community and making sure that people could, 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 could prosper. And he did everything that he possibly could. And, you know, he traveled a lot and he did a lot of work and he came back with stories. And it, it was always empowering to see someone who, um, always saw an opportunity. He never, he was an extremely positive man. And so uh, I was raised by, by, uh, by a soldier, by, by a king. I, I, call him, I call him my king because he is someone who, who led, but who did it with, with kindness and grace and eloquence and, and humility. And, you know, he, he, he taught me my ways. He taught me who, hmm. I wouldn't be here without him, I'll tell you that. And so, you know, coming into this country with with that legacy and knowing that, you know, I now had an opportunity to live an opportunity to go to school and uh, walk down the streets and be safe and, you know, not worry about not making it home or, you know, my mom, it, it, it just, it, it, it meant to me that now I had a responsibility to do something with my life that was going to impact others just as much as my dad did. Right. And so, right. um, and, and so my story starts there. And, and so I've, my entire life, uh, Bart, has been about serving community. I've, I've dedicated my life to that because I think it, there's just so much happening mm-hmm. around the world, you know, not just in Canada, everywhere. There, there are pains and, and struggles that people face. But there are some of us who are privileged. There are some of us mm-hmm. who have more opportunity than others. And so what do those people do is always the question. And I was I was privileged. I came, I, I, a lot of people I knew didn't make it, right? And so now that, that we had what we were going to do with that, that chance that life was going to be very critical. And so, um, you know, went to school, um, loved it. <laughs> what did you <laughs> study? So, uh, international development, mm-hmm. of course. Of course, um, of and, course. <laughs> Inspired. And so, yeah. And, and you know, um, and the whole time, but I thought I'm going to go back home and I'm going hmm. to, you know, give back and mm-hmm. do all of these things. But then I realized I was, as I was growing up, there's so much to be done right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Canada's home. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I need to find ways to support my, my home, my community right. here. And so um, I went into just working with as many uh, nonprofits as I could, as I could think of. And um, I was in the, before coming to Black North, uh, I was in the public service for about 15 years. Um, and that was important for me to mm-hmm. serve. It was important for me to serve because I knew that my father had served. I also knew a lot of others who had served and had given their lives to um, keeping the peace. Mm-hmm. And so for me, going into the federal public service was an easy, an easy decision. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did that at the age of 17, uh, joined as a student, and, mm-hmm. then, and then spent about most 
14, 14 and a half years within the public service. And, and so, and it was an incredible opportunity and experience because you get to really see the way that our, our government functions mm-hmm. and just the machinery of, of this entity that is ruling this country, right? Like it, mm-hmm. It's literally um, the framework and the structure that actually allows us to function day in and day out and to be a part of that and to have an opportunity to make a positive impact was incredible for me. Hmm. And so, uh, and then joining Black North was, look, it was, um, I'll say that it was meant to be, and I, and I know this <laughs> now more than ever, because um, I, I think it was about two years prior to Black North um, being launched, uh, Wes, or maybe a year and a half, mm-hmm. Wes, will, Wes will know the date more than I do, but um, he had a dinner at his house. Uh, and I was invited uh, to that dinner um, to a friend of Wes. And so he brought together uh, a lot of black community leaders um, and he talked about creating the black North. Hmm. Right. But we like, it's crazy. Cause when we talk about it now, we were like, this was really meant to be. It was hmm. in this, it was just, and so we sat there in his beautiful home and we talked about all of the privilege that everyone in that room carried and what we were going to do with that. And so we had a great, dinner and, and a conversation and um and then things slowed down a little bit we did a couple of work just you know talking to each other mm-hmm. about just initiatives and things that we should be working on um and hold and behold you know um a, a year and a half later uh the, the the canadian council is built and so i see this and i say to myself this is exactly what he was talking right. about this is what we should be doing so i started to volunteer for the government relations committee because that's where my expertise is so I sat there with Senator uh, um, uh, Oliver, uh, Don Oliver, who's an incredible uh, leader and pioneer in our mm-hmm. community and others, and worked and started to work with the committee, uh, putting policy papers together, talking about what the, the government needed to do to start the shift and mm-hmm. how we can support from the outside. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it was a few months later, the executive director role um, goes out. Now, Bart, I'll tell you the truth. I had... I, I applied because I thought this is an amazing opportunity. Right. Uh, it, it's it's going to be, you know, a chance at doing something completely different. I had the nonprofit and the government experience already. And I thought I'm perfect for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm perfect for it. This is going to be the trifecta to be able to work with corporate communities. And so, um, and then I think, you know, 10 or 15 interviews later, uh, I landed the job, which was an incredible an incredible, and and I mean this with all of my heart, a surprise to me. Not because, hmm. you know, I think, and it goes back to the reality that black people face. In, hmm. in, Cause, um, because here you are, you know, just, to, just to jump in here, yeah. you yeah. had known Wes, you've been at that dinner, you had uh-huh. all this experience in government, you had uh-huh. served, you had volunteered in support of the council, you're, you've got yeah. the credentials, and yet you were surprised that you got it. Tell, explain that. I, I was, Bart, because, you know, we, and, and I'll t- it, it, a lot of other Black Canadians will tell you this, you know, you know you have the experience, you know you have the skill sets, you've done it inside out, you're well prepared for it, and all of those amazing things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, recruitment processes, a lot of times for our community, doesn't doesn't go our way and, right. and, and you know that growth is not necessarily something that is happens so easily so no i had i i did not think that i would get it but the hmm. way that this recruitment process was done 
Um, and, and I, and I want to give a shout out to Jason Murray from my fucking executive search firm. Cause that's the firm that I, that, that launched the, the, the process mm-hmm. and, and the recruitment. Um, it, it was such an incredibly inclusive and transformational process. And again, it spoke to what West was trying to do. You know, it spoke mm-hmm. to saying to ourselves, how can we bring the best talent, um, and make sure that it's an inclusive process and make sure that it's equitable. Make sure that we're hmm. just not looking at a resume and saying yes or no, but that we're actually getting to know the person right. and the, the person that brings in all of these experiences. So when I was going through my interview process and, and going to, you know, um, mm-hmm. speaking to so many of these board members, it was incredible because, hmm. you know, they asked me questions about my, my childhood hmm. and things that I had experienced or, you know, what does love look like to me? And, you know, <laughs> it, it, wow. <laughs> and in, in my mind, I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. Wow. I've never gone through anything like this. <laughs> and it, it didn't matter if I had gotten the job or not. The process in itself was so uplifting for me that I thought, this is how it should be. You know, we should get to know the candidate uh, as a person and not just a number. You know, oh, how do we do that? So it was incredible. I loved it. That's powerful. And you know, I think we'll we'll switch in the moment to talking about you've got the job and you know what the first year was like. But I do think it's worthwhile. You know, just that story you shared about you know the experience of Black Canadians in trying, you know, going through the process and then ending up though qualified without the results. You know, really speaks to the kind of challenges that uh, Black Canadians face. And and for those you know listening who might not. You know, like who might like me be white or men or um, and not have that lived experience. What are kind of the big things that people should know that that um, that you perhaps face as a professional in the government that really spoke to the need for an initiative like Black North? Are, are there a couple that stand out to you? I think the first thing that pops into my head is that there is so much untapped talent. Hmm. I, I, I can't. I can't fathom the amount of people mm-hmm. that are walking on this earth and in Canada more specifically that have all of this incredible skill set and potential that we never harness, that we never even look at. And these individuals go through life without ever being able to succeed uh, and to have a, right. a real chance at prosperity. And to me, that is the, the most saddening part of this, that there are individuals out there who unfortunately would never have never had a chance. And hmm. so for me, it was looking at this was, um, it was a moment for me to realize I'm incredible. Hmm. I am good at this. And it was almost, it was assuring. It was, you right. know, someone else had valid and it, it's incredible. But you know, when you acknowledge someone and their experiences and their skill sets, and you're able to look at them and say, Holy, that's, this, this is, this, this is a whole human being that brings in so much. Um, there is a, there's a, there's a validation that needs to be there because unfortunately, um, black Canadians have been invalidated for far Hmm. too long. And so going through a process like this, that was so inclusive from start to finish, um, allowed me to see how, how we can actually do recruitment, not in such a way Hmm. we just bring a black body into the space, right? Great that we can bring a black body, but the way that you do it the way that you keep them and retain them and promote them. I mean, to me, that, that is an incredible power and you're creating economic empowerment mm-hmm. within the black community, but also there's been enough research that's been done to showcase that when you have a diverse workforce, 
you do better. It's not yes. just a, it's not just the right thing to do. It's the smart thing it's to do. It's economically right? compelling. So, As you said, all that talent out there that's, that's unharnessed. Yeah, there's so many. So you got the job. Okay, so you're, <laughs> you're filled with this sense of excitement. You're like, this is what I've yeah. been preparing my whole life and career for. All right, talk yeah. to me about your first year. Like, what, what were the challenges? What, what were the wins? What were the, the things that you didn't get as far as? Give me your, your year in review. Look, um, I'll say this first, you know, this, this thing that we're trying to eradicate has been in our community for 40, Hmm. 400 plus years. So, you know, I went into this knowing Hmm. that, um, you know, the first year was going to be one um, that needed to be based on building the foundation of this organization. If it was going to survive, we needed to, to build the framework and make sure that people were sold on the mandate and the vision, and they believed in it. There was a, a sense of a sense of purpose that needed to be there. Before we get into funding and fundraising mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. of this other stuff, people needed to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, there's a power, there's something very, very magical when people believe. It's, it's beyond them. They, they know it, they feel it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a calling. And I wanted to instill that in people, to know that they mm-hmm. had the power to change this. And so the first year was about getting the momentum mm-hmm. going. It was about getting as many signatories as possible, getting as many partners to join us because we knew and, and, and reality is that it should, it's not a black problem. It's not a black people problem. Mm-hmm. It's literally a Canadian issue mm-hmm. and everyone could be invested in this. Right? right. And so creating that on an individual basis was an incredible task. Well, um, but- well especially as you said, this is not something that you're going to eradicate in one year. You know, it is a mm-hmm. marathon. So you need that belief to sustain change. I, I, I imagine that you're in this for the long haul, right? <laughs> I am. And, and I truly believe that those that have joined us in this fight are in it for the long haul as well, because um, they have understood. And, you know, we've, we've taken an approach here that is more um, collaborative mm-hmm. and not, um, you know, we don't want to blame and shame anyone because this epidemic that's, that's in our community is too it's too, uh, it's too intricate mm-hmm. to just say, well, no, you should have done this and that's it. No, there, there are, there's, there's so many layers to this issue and that it really will take, uh, you know, an army of us to be able to say to ourselves, what can individual, what can each of us individually do? How collectively, you know, what's the collective impact right. that we can have? And, and that formula I think is one that is honestly, I think uh, perfect. In mm-hmm. so many ways, because what we're doing is we're, we're telling people, okay, you know, you, that there are things you need to do. There are things that haven't worked, um, but there's an opportunity here for us to create change. But you're not going to do it alone. We're going to do it with you, and we're going to support each other. A lot of times you see these conversations about equity and diversity and all sorts of other uh, key pieces around bringing equality into our communities um, by just saying it's that company's problem or that organization's mm-hmm. problem or that government's problem. We're saying no. We're not, we're not, we're not feeding into that narrative. Um, your problem is mine and my problem is yours. And how are we now going to do, how are we going to do this together? And so the, the signatories and pledge sort of initiative was about creating that family, that sense of duty amongst each other. And so it's been incredible to see the impact so far because everyone has taken a responsibility within this framework. I mean, we, right, we have about 340 volunteers within Black Wow, North. that's amazing. And I'll tell you, they work 
15, 20, 30 hours a week. Wow. Sometimes I, I, they work as, as, as long as I do and they're volunteering their time, right? Um, away from their families and sometimes away from their own day jobs to be able to do this because they know um, the impact that it could have. So that tells me something, that there is something really special here um, that we, we can't let up on. We have to continue. So what, you, as you said, you know, this is a long, so one thing that sounds like you've done is you've created the belief. What would you say other things you're most proud about doing in this first year are? You know, I think for me, the biggest, the second biggest thing is uh, our partnerships. Uh, we, we've looked at, we've looked at some critical issues within our community when mm-hmm. it comes to healthcare and employment. And, um, we, we understood very early on that systemic change in itself was going to take some time. Hmm. Uh, you know, I know that the expectation is we've got to do this quick. Yes, we do have to do it quick and efficiently, but we've got to take our time to get it right because we can't afford to get it wrong. We're losing people in our community, right? And so these partnerships for me were very, very critical because what it was doing is uh, we were now saying to ourselves that we, we, we were creating a path for success and it was going to be one that was going to be based on um, uh, incremental change. Right. Mm-hmm. And that incremental change for me was important. And so some of these partners that we have at the table um, have created initiatives that are directly impacting communities. We knew that policy change was mm-hmm. going to take time, you know, structural changes were going to take time, but what can we do right now? And we kept asking every conversation and I'm telling you, I, now it's died down a little bit in, in the last month or so because of the summer, but consistently I have nine to 12 meetings a day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now, why do you need a vacation? <laughs> so, so let's just talk a bit about a few of those partnerships. I know you have one with Ryerson DMZ. I know you've got one with a call center for black at risk. You tell me, tell me about some of the ones that stand out. The ones that stand out for me and, and, and I'll tell you Bart, it was, it was an access to opportunity. We knew that as, as things were, things were shifting and, 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 you know, systems were being changed. We needed to create partnerships that were going to give black Canadians as well as indigenous Canadian indigenous people an opportunity to have access to, 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 uh, to participate mm-hmm. in something. Right. So these programs that we were now we've built and, and are still building are like, I'll tell you one that I'm super, Please. at least it's very close to my heart because of um, people within my circle of mm-hmm. life that have been impacted by mental health. But the Kids Health Phone Partnership is one that I think is so incredible to mention because uh, before COVID, I think um, they said to us they had uh, a million or so interactions. And since COVID, it's increased to four, oh four, 4.5 million interactions. Oh, wow. And a lot of those are coming from Black youth. Hmm. And I'll tell you, there is a huge stigma within the Black community when it comes to mental health. People don't like talking about mental health. Hmm. And so the fact that now we, we have a new generation that's seeking help but that doesn't necessarily have the support, what were we going to do to fill in that gap? So mm-hmm. all of our partnerships are about filling a gap. We're not recreating the wheel. Every time we've thought about a program, it was asking ourselves, is, does this exist already? If it does, now let's amplify what already exists. But if it doesn't exist, how do we create something? And so um, the Kids Telephone Partnership, I think, is one that's incredible because now we're, we, we've launched a Rise Up program, which is a uh, a kids help phone line for black Canadians mm-hmm. um, that's going to be directly supporting our black youth because, you know, if we can't support a black youth through this crisis, they're not going to survive because what they're going to be impacted by anti-black racism and COVID-19 and right. have that collide. They won't survive this. Right. So what right. can we do to 
to, to, to fill in that gap. And so that program, I think, is one that I'm super, super proud of. And, and, and the Ryerson partnership, of course, I mean, it's <laughs> the, the moment I spoke to the dean of Ryerson and um, incredible woman. And, uh, you know, one of the big things that we talked about was access to, to again, it's access opportunity. Right. Every time I talk to you about a program, just think about those words, access opportunity. And so what can we do to bring in um, to create educational opportunities for black Canadians? And so that scholarship really is about how do we get to the most impoverished of people in our community mm-hmm. and get them into education systems that are going to allow them to have the power. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to absolutely go to school to be successful. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that. But what it means is that you now have an opportunity to do so. A lot of black Canadians and black youth never see themselves in mm-hmm. post-secondary because they can't afford it. It's too far-fetched. They won't be, they just, it's not something that's accessible right. to them. And now what we removing the financial uh, challenge that was there. And I can tell you the amount of people that are super excited by this is we've gotten so much feedback because again, it's, 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 uh, it's an opportunity to have access to something they never thought was possible. Yeah, and your phrase, you know, access to opportunity. I had a black entrepreneur, uh, Andrew Bromfield, I don't know if you know him, on my podcast earlier this year. And, you know, I, I reached out to him because he had some really powerful comments about what he was happy about and what he was not happy about of how government was supporting uh, black entrepreneurs. And he said, really, I, we don't want loans, we want opportunities. It's the same thing that you're saying. Right. The, ch- the chance to, you know, to have access to what others do. So that makes perfect sense. And, and it sounds like those those are just kind of a few great examples that, you know, partnerships and, and targeted help are really coming together already. And and I th- that's neat for me to hear because, you know, I, I've read about the corporate signatory pledges and the companies, but I haven't known about these kind of um, immediate impact programs that you're creating. So that's that's exciting stuff. So, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of other wins. What's your biggest frustration a year in? Look, I'll tell you, it's it's people thinking this is going to get done in a year. That's my <laughs> well, I, I'm sure you read that Globe and Mail. There's a Globe and Mail article that said, you know, one year in, and I think the headline was something like half of Black North signatories have not made progress. And I kind of thought, yes. I did, I, I'd love to know, I could tell you how I th- thought about that, but I'd love your perspective on that and whether it relates to what you just said. You know, I, I, I read the article, okay? The article is not bad. It's, it's, it's a balanced article. You know, it, it, it talks about um, the feedback that Golden Will got, right? Mm-hmm. But I know the reality. As the head of this organization, I see it every single day, what these signatories are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we did our own one-year end report where we surveyed all of our, all of our uh, uh, signatories and and I can tell you that they have they have surpassed my expectations because someone like me who is black, who's Muslim, who's a woman, who's an immigrant, who's been in this country for 29 years now, I can tell you that I've worked in so many different areas, and I know for sure, a hundred percent, as as sure as I am that I am alive today, talking to you, Bart, that change takes time. Mm-hmm. Real change takes time. If you see things happen too quickly, hmm. I don't know how long they'll last. Hmm. I don't know how impactful they're going to know how sustainable they're going to be. Right. But when you see people and, and more specifically our signatories having and an, an implementing incremental change where they're looking at one area to the next, to the next, to the next, 
and they're putting focus Mm -hmm. behind that and they're putting attention behind that. That to me is real change Hmm. because it's a behavioral one. It's an individual one. It's one that's based on honesty and intention. It's not one that's based on what do we put out there? How do we look good? You know, how do we just be, you know, how do we use media? No. Whether we post on on LinkedIn, right? Whether we post on LinkedIn. It's about how do we do this? There's a lot of our signatures that are doing incredible work and have never posted a day in their life about mm-hmm. anything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that to me tells me the commitment is beyond a moment in time. And they're really in it for the movement with us. And so I'm, the frustration is when people think that in a year or two that things are going to go. Right. It's going to flip. If that was the case, don't you think we would have done this in the last 400 years? <laughs> so I, and I, don't want, I, don't want it to be, I don't want it to take another 400 years. Let me be clear about right. that. I don't want it to take a long time. I'm impatient when it comes to change, okay? I'm impatient because I see my community. I'm invested on the personal side. And I know this is, is it's, it's literally taking lives from our community and generations and people who could have been contributors into the mm-hmm. society and could have had a life of prosperity. I know this personally. I know this. But I also know that if we're going to do this right, mm-hmm. we've got to take up doing it. We have to do that. So... It is frustrating, but I, you know, I get it. I mm-hmm. get it. We're, there's so many things that have happened, uh, and specifically more recently with that collide of racial tensions and COVID-19 yes. that's telling we don't have time to mess up anymore. But, you know, it's important that we do it right. Just as important. You know, one, one thing you've mentioned there, you said, you know, we need to harness the individuals. We need to create believers. You know, a lot of people listening may not run an organization or... But they may see systemic racism as something that they want to, you know, challenge. They may want to become more vocal allies. Some may manage people. Some may be individual contributors. Are there a couple pieces of advice that you would share with people listening on how they can make an impact in their places of work, in their companies, in their communities? What would be the one or two things you would advise them to do? Well, there, there are two things that you can do as of today. For anyone listening, you, you start this today and you will see change happen without even putting as much effort as you think you need to. <laughs> okay, go for one, it. <laughs> one is you ask yourself, and I've said this before, um, first, uh, it, you know, privately and publicly, that the first thing is to just ask yourself as an individual, am I part of the problem? <laughs> am I, as an individual, whether it's in my family structure, whether it's in my professional structure, whether it's part of being in a community or society, am I part of that problem? And, you know, we, we just launched our, our campaign, our fundraising campaign on July 20th, and literally we titled it Part of the Problem. Hmm. So how would and I know, said, if I was to ask myself, am I part of the problem, how would I know if I'm part of the problem? Well, then, then really, I think that honest conversation that you have with yourself, what am I doing to ensure that people around me who have a lack of opportunity who are from minority communities, what am I doing to uplift them? What am I doing to empower them? What am I doing to share my privilege with them? That's a huge question. Mm. You know, if I have an access to, um, you know, an opportunity, am I sharing that information? Am I looking to my colleagues who are from minority groups and saying to them, can I help you with this? Can we do this? Like, what are you doing to advance? And just you as an individual, because you know what, it's very daunting when you say to yourself, 
what is me as part of an organization? Like that's, that's a huge task. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take a whole lot of other people um, to be invested to be able to do that. But if every, and imagine this, Brad, if I can get you to close your eyes for a moment. Done. I'm doing it. Every, <laughs> but imagine every single person in our community saying to themselves, what is one thing that I can do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis to create change on an individual basis? Just me as a person, what can I do? If every one of us asked ourselves that question and we, pro- we had an answer and we made sure we had a response, can you imagine the impact? Hmm. Can you imagine the amount of things that would start to shift? And I, I'm seeing it now, even through my, hmm. my family circle from, to, to my work circles, I see it. Everyone that I'm around is always doing something, hmm. whether they're mentoring someone whether they're sharing an employment opportunity, whether they're helping someone uh, recraft their CV, help them in an interview process, be a reference for someone, be a reference for, be a sponsor for someone. Like if you can just do one thing, read about anti-black racism, mm-hmm. understand black history, black contribution, black art, black media, understand these, you, there's so much that you can do from the comfort of your own couch. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you a bit of a tough follow-up question. If, uh-huh. Do you believe... If you're not doing, actively doing something, you are part of the problem? Well, it is a tough question. And I think I would say that you're not part of the solution. Hmm. You're just not. And, 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 you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot, Bart. You know, I think that people see advocacy um, as a bad word. Hmm. You know, advocacy is, is raw and it's, it can be very much in your face. But no, advocacy can be how you speak. To your colleagues. Advocacy right. can be about how you think. Advocacy can be about what books you have on your shelf and what are you reading about? What are you feeding your mind? Right. How is your unconscious bias sort of being trained? How are you doing that? Those are all forms of advocacy. The way that you raise your children to understand mm-hmm. what's happening in our that's at all of those things. And this is honestly when I say these things, it comes from my religious teachings. Mm-hmm. I've been taught that advocacy comes from all of the things that you do in life, mm-hmm. from your mannerisms to your language, to your behaviors, to the way that you treat people, all of these things are advocacy. What are you doing to better the world around you, hmm. right? And so I think everyone should be an advocate. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, it is it is a tough thing to do. I mean, I, I'll just share from my own experience. A year ago, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd was, you know, just shocking. And uh-huh. I remember, I don't know if you know Numan Ashraf, great prophet, U of T., of course. Oh, so you know, yeah, he's great. He was one of the earlier guests on the pod as well. And you know, I, I, I talked to him periodically, and I said, you know, you know, I, I kind of we had a great conversation. He always makes time to talk about this, and because we want to talk about this horrible event in our company. And I said, you know, what, what more can I be doing? You know, he, he actually said to me, well, you know, I said, how about your podcast? And I said, you know, we, I, I looked, I had to look, take a hard look and realize that most people I was having on were, you know, from white privileged backgrounds and yeah. realizing that, you know, maybe this in some small way, I could be more of a champion of voices that weren't heard and, and to reach out to the network. So I, I kind of had to check myself and realize that maybe I wasn't doing enough there or in my company or in life in general. It's, it can be. Um, but do you see what you did, Bart? You literally asked yourself the question, like, what am I doing? Not, and, I wasn't and really, doing enough. <laughs> that's, I realized and that's that. The thing, and I'll tell you, I think everyone has the same answer. I, I, I have spoken to so many CEOs, hundreds of them. And in there were honest, raw conversations where mm-hmm. people were asking themselves the exact same question that you did. What am I doing? Am I doing enough? 
And most times the answer will be, no, I'm not doing enough. And you know what? Not that it's okay, but we're there. So just accept that you, you know, a lot of people feel there's, um, and I'm I'm being as as raw and honest as I can with you, but it's, people have this guilt that comes with it. For for the shame, yeah. And and shame, and you're saying to yourself, who am I to now step into this world? You know, I, I, I was having a conversation with one CEO, which will remain nameless, because I don't know if he wants me to put him out there, but he had such an incredible conversation with me where he said, well, I don't know if I have the right to be in this space. And I feel bad if I don't do things right. And I said to him, you know that we are all going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We have to, because how are we going to learn from them? How are we going to mm-hmm. know this hasn't worked? And that's why when you say, when you see our pledge, is there item on our pledge that says sharing best practices and unsuccessful practices because we have to talk about the things that have not worked and be honest about those hmm. things so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. But he felt such guilt saying, I haven't done enough hmm. and now I don't think I have the right to. And I said, the, 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 the mere fact that you're asking yourself that question tells me that you have the right because it's your responsibility just as much as it is mine. And if you care and love for me, which I believe that you do, you're going to do what needs to be hmm. done to support me. And I'm going to take that and, and be thankful for it because I think it's important that this is a collective responsibility. Right. It's a shared one. It can't be, an, it can't just be, it's their problem. Right. I can't be a part of this. I don't know if I can. It's it, everyone should hmm. feel responsible. Everyone is responsible. Well, and I really appreciate that message because I think you're right. You know, I, I certainly think back a year ago and still, frankly, the feelings I have, am I doing enough? Have I done enough? What have I done? Did I not do enough in the past? But what I'm hearing from you and for everyone listening is whatever you have or haven't done in the past, it's always time to start by examining what you could be doing and it all and just enter, enter the conversation with yourself and enter the conversation in your, in your world. It's, it's so okay to be uncomfortable. You should be, this is a disheartening epidemic. It's, it's killing people. It's, 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 it's stifling people's growth. Unfortunately, our communities are being impacted to such an incredibly disproportionate way that you should feel bad. You should feel uncomfortable. You should, it's actually a normal feeling. If you didn't feel that way, I'd be worried. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I, you probably know Emmanuel Acho, who wrote yeah. uh, Uncom- um, great book for anyone, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And like the title says it all, right? Like you have to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, you really do. And and it, it's through that, you know, when some of these CEOs signed the pledge right from the beginning and, and, and periodically since throughout the whole year, everyone started to have these conversations with their black staff mm-hmm. or their indigenous staff and the, the learnings that come from that the teachings that come from just having a conversation, just that on its own created just a ripple effect, right? And so right. it's fine to be uncomfortable. You should be. I right. want you to be. But then yeah. what are you going to do with that, right? right. Then comes the, the, that, 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 um, that action, right? And so how do we activate mm-hmm. allyship? We talk about this all the time, right? So you know now you're empowered to have, you have the information mm-hmm. and the information is power. You now have it. What are you going to do with that information? So that's the part that I think we're at now. Like, what do we now do? And is that the, I know you said you had, of course, we got off talking about this. Um, You said there are two things. One was to have that conversation with yourself. What is the second thing that everyone listening can do? It's literally that. What are you going to do about it now? What's that happen? Right? And, And let it be something very small. 
You write oh, a post I like that. On, on LinkedIn and, and you talk about something you've read today. You've now have shared it with someone else that's now going to know. And now that gets shared around. <laughs> like it's, it's a beautiful thing to see when someone acts on, 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 on a realization. You, you have a moment of clarity and mm-hmm. then you say, okay, what am I going to do now? I've learned something. How am I going to apply it? And we do this like our whole lives, right? We go to school, we apply what we learn in school in our job. We go to jobs, mm-hmm. we get trained, we then apply it. We go into our families, we learn things about our, our partners and spouses and whatnot and our kids. And then we, it's literally, it's, it's the circle of life. We learn, we act. We learn, we act. That's, that's, that's it. You just need to understand it. Ask yourself the personal question because I believe in this and I'm not trying to be euphoric or like, I, I just, you know, it's yeah, not a, no, it's, it's uh, real, <laughs> but really it's an individual, it's an individual change. And if you want to see the change, you have to be a part of it. Well, it's very powerful. I mean, I, um, I, I appreciate you sharing all this in your story and, and, you know, there's a lot I'm taking away from this, you know, one I think that everyone listening should take away one is this is not this challenge of systemic racism, anti-black racism has been with us for hundreds of years and it's not going to go away. But that also should not be cause for, you know, us to throw up our hands that we we have to continue and we all can have that conversation with ourselves about whether we've been doing anything and just should start doing something. Honestly, there was a stat Bart, that talked about uh, with the World Economic Forum, and they talked about how long it's going to take for uh, anti-black racism to be eradicated, or not even anti-black. I shudder to ask, what to, how long? What did it say? Twenty-five generations. Jesus. Twenty-five, and I saw that, and you know, first it was okay. This hurts. This this is painful to hear, and then it was. Oh no! This is a challenge. Hmm. We're not going to take twenty-five. Right? Generations. Let's shorten it. We're, we're not going to do that. That's not. That's, that's, that's not. We're we're now responsible. We now have information, right? Now it's like, what are we going to do about this? So this doesn't. This is not our reality. This is not our future. Right. And you know what? The, the 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 thing is, is that I I don't want the ne- if we're in this generation, every generation has a responsibility, and I don't want the next generation to look back at us and say, "You didn't do enough here." Right. Like, I'm proud of the work that's been done prior to me. I am so, so proud. And this goes back to the legacy of my father, the legacy of people that my ancestors and others that I look up to because they've done a lot of work to get us here. Now, what am I going to do to move the baton over? Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, I'm almost 100% sure that I don't believe racism is going to be eradicated in my lifetime. But you're damn sure that I'm going to do what I need to do to get that over the hump. I'm going to do everything I can to move it far along. And so... Let's not look at this aspirational thing that could be just <laughs> scary. And it, it's, a, it's a fearful, it's a, it's a thought that just, I think, puts the fear in people when you, when you look at the end goal. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? And everything that follows that, right? It's incremental change. I believe in that truly and, 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 and really from, from deep, the deep parts within me where it needs to happen every day. It can't just be something that we do once and we think the issue is just going just gonna to disappear because it won't. Well, I can see why you got the job. <laughs> oh, thank you, Bart. Yeah, and I, um, I feel encouraged. You know, d- uh, perhaps daunted by the challenge, um, oh. but encouraged by the leadership and the passion and the fact that so many in Canada are stepping up to contribute. Um, That's right. This has been very inspiring. Well, look, thank you, Bart, for for being part of the solution. 
for having this conversation with me, for giving me a platform. You know, we Black Canadians don't normally don't get a platform, don't get an opportunity to share thoughts and 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 experiences and and just you know their their ways of life with people. And I think <laughs> what you're doing is you're giving us spotlight and you're giving us an opportunity to be recognized and to be seen. And so thank you for doing that. It's well, the pleasure is mine. I I learned a lot, and I think Canada uh, and everyone. Um, whether it's in corporate Canada or Canadian society, we'll be better for it if we can bring uh, black voices uh, forward and into places where their talent can shine. So in some small way, I'm glad to uh, glad to be part of this. And um, I look forward to staying connected with you and to seeing the progress uh, of Black North. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bart. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. With Dahabo, uh, I'm Ilmer from uh, Black North. It's a uh, it's a journey that we're on, as she says, to eradicate racism, and it's not an easy one. But I certainly left inspired by the work that she and Black North are doing, and also really uh, left with a sense that we all have a part to play, however small it might be, and that just starting is the right thing to do. So, great conversation. Encourage you to check out the the organization. We'll put some links in the. Uh, in the page. Um, next time on the pod, we're going to do something really interesting. You can, of course, listen to the episode when it comes out in your feed. But if you haven't already seen on our social, uh, we're going to be doing a live podcast. And I'm really excited to welcome Dane Jensen, the CEO at Third Factor. For bright minds among you who have been longtime listeners, you might remember Dane came on the podcast several years ago and to talk about uh, coaching, resilience, and, and all the work that they do at Third Factor. And he's got a new book out around pressure and why pressure is actually not something to fear, but something to embrace. And so we're going to have a live event. You can sign up, hear the pod live, and even asking questions. Um, so I encourage you to get registered for that. You can check my page on LinkedIn. You can check uh, the Humphrey groups on LinkedIn and all the registration details should be in there. So hope you join us for a live episode. If you can't make it, the episode will be in your feed as normal. Talk to you soon.